Well, church, it's good to be with you again as we are finishing out our short study, our expositional study in the book of Jude. Because as June comes to an end, so does Jude for us. So why don't you once again find your way to that book? It's the second to last book in your Bible. And if you are using one of those Black Pew Bibles, that will be on page 1027. 1027. And as you are turning there, let me remind us of what we have seen so far. Right? As we've been looking at this letter of Jude, we have realized, we have seen, that Jude, who is the half-brother of Jesus does not identify himself with Jesus based off his earthly relationship, but his eternal one. And so he begins by talking about how he is a bond servant of Christ, that he belongs to him. See, Jude understood that when Jesus went to the cross to die in, on the cross for the, the penalty for sin, not his sin, but he was going there for, as a substitute for others, Jude believed that when Jesus went to the cross, He was there for him, that he needed Jesus to atone for his sins. He stood guilty, but yet Jesus wanted to become his perfect substitute on the cross. Jude identified himself as a bondservant in that way. That he belonged to Christ, that everything which he had was given to him through Jesus. And after becoming a teacher and preacher in the first century... Jude is writing to this this collection of churches that we have here in the letter of Jude. He's writing back to all these churches that he has this relationship with, that he had visited and taught at some previous time. But he's reminding these churches, and he's writing to them for a specific reason. And that reason is that false teachers had infiltrated the church, that there was false teaching happening to those brothers and sisters in the faith, and, and he was so compelled to contend for the faith, for them to be remind themselves of what is true and right, he writes this short letter to them. And much of the letter has been Jude calling the church, I think them in their day and us in our day, to remember. To remember. Which is a way that I think God has always dealt with his people. Is constantly calling them to remembrance. Even some of the festivals in which Justin talked about in that psalm reading, all of the festivals that we see that, that was prescribed to the Jewish nation, and then even the Lord's Supper that's given to Christians now, what's the purpose of that? It's to serve in remembrance. Do you remember who God is? Do you remember what He has done? You see, we need to remember. And why do we need to remember? Because we forget. Right? We're a forgetful people. And it's okay to admit that. It's okay to admit that we're a forgetful people. We even forget really important things. Go ahead and ask my mom if she's ever forgotten one of her sons in the Nevada desert. <laughs> Just drove off without him. It's a longer story than that. <laughs> I don't, I don't have time to get into it. Ask her, not now. <laughs> Obviously, I'm here. We're okay. We're okay. 
But we are a forgetful people, church. So that's why Jude is writing this letter. So they would remember Christ. That they would remember what God has written in his word. That they would remember this blessed future that awaits them. They needed to remember this. And he also wanted to be clear about what happens to false teachers. That God's justice, it may look delayed now, but it will never be ultimately delayed. God works in his own timing, but he always works perfectly. And so today, in our last section, we're going to be looking at verses 17 through the rest of the book. 17 through 25. Where we're going to see Jude once again call Christians to remember And give us actually some very practical ways that we can stir up remembrance in our own hearts. Practical ways to keep ourselves exactly where God desires us to be, church. But before we actually look at the text, what I need to do is I need to pray for you. And as I'm praying for you, I would ask that you pray for me. And then we'll go from there. So let's pray together. Father, before we actually look at your text, I want to just come before your throne of grace and prayer. And God, I pray for every single person in this room, um, for those who maybe be listening. Father, we are desperate for you. We are desperate for your spirit to just allow us to rightly see what you have written for them initially, but even for us today. God, I pray that every single person in here would just be able to to see a little bit more clearly who you are, Jesus, what you have done. God, I pray for our kiddos next door and the teachers that are leading them. God, allow their time in your word just to be fruitful as much as we pray for our time in your word. God, we are thankful for you. That we don't have to wonder who you are. We don't have to wonder what you have done. But we get to read it right now. So help us. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Let me go ahead and just read verses 17 through 25. Where Jude says, says, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Church, that is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Yeah, thanks be to God indeed. So in the section that we just read, I think that there's, there's, you know, like any good Baptist preacher will do, there's generally three categories I want you to look at. I want you to see that Jude calls Christians to remember what was written. Remember what was written. 
to remember that your faith in life mattered, and to remember the God who is able. So we're going to kind of look at. So starting in verse 17 and through 19, uh, Jude starts by just simply kind of continuing on what he'd been talking about previously, about how God knows that these false teachers are present. He knows that this has this is coming into the church, that this shouldn't be a surprise for Christians, and he appeals to the Christians to actually reflect on what the apostles had already written. Not just what we see in the Old Testament, but what we actually see in the New Testament by the apostles like Paul and John. Because they all spoke that, and they got this from Jesus himself. When Jesus said, hey, when I ascend, when I go back to my throne, you should know that there's false teachers coming. He calls them wolves. They're going to be coming into the church to ravage the sheepfold of God. And so the Apostle Paul, even though that he hurt this through Jesus in certain ways, he wrote about this in his own letters, right? When Jude wrote this letter, it was probably right around the same time that Paul was planting churches, encouraging Christians. Now, we don't know exactly if this was oral, if this was already written down, but Jude understood that the apostles had been teaching about false teaching that was coming. And then so one example is when Paul's writing to this young pastor named Timothy, he tells them about this day. And let me show you this on the screen. You don't have to turn there. It's from 2 Timothy 3. And Paul says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. He says, avoid such people. It's a pretty honest statement. Pretty much covers a lot of things, right? And what Paul is saying to Timothy and what Jude is trying to basically unpack to this church is these days are here. These last days, as long as many of the New Testament writers said, the last days started the day that Jesus ascended back to his throne. And we have been in those last days ever since. Because Jude was experiencing that then, and I think it's pretty clear that we're experiencing the same thing today, aren't we? We are still in those last days, as the way that the Bible describes. But notice in verse 19, look down at your Bibles. Jude wants to make a specific point about these false teachers. He says, they are the ones who are causing division. They are the ones who are worldly. They're more concerned about the world. And he even says that they're devoid of the Spirit. Meaning that they're not Christians. They're not indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Which happens the moment that you believe and turn to Christ and His atonement for sins on your behalf. Which is important. We've been trying to make that a clear distinction When Judas is talking about this judgment that's coming to these individuals, he's talking to about non-Christians. Not Christians who are struggling, not Christians who are just kind of working through their faith, but ones that do not have any faith. Devoid of the Spirit. And he says, they 
are the ones who are causing division. And here's why I want to point that out, is we live in a time where when you want to be faithful to God's word, right, when you want to to hold fast to this, this faith that's been delivered once and for all to the church, often you are the one who's labeled as being divisive. That if you didn't care about doctrine so much, we actually could reach a whole lot more people. You're the one being divisive. But what Jude is saying is, no, that's not true. That's not true at all. The ones who are actually, and I'm not saying that Christians can't be divisive, Christians can be divisive. But he's talking about the faith, right? The important things. The things that make someone a Christian or not a Christian. And what he's saying once again is they care more about how the world thinks of the church rather than what Jesus thinks of the church. In a church, we have to watch out for that, don't we? We have to watch out. What are we more interested in? Are we more interested in being welcomed by any of all because we don't have any backbone of what we believe? Or are we contending for what we know is true and right? So Jude's just reminding them that these words have been spoken already. So friends, we don't have to, we don't have to be caught off guard, right? When there's, there's ideologies or viewpoints that we see in the church that stand in contrast to the church, we can expect those. She's just saying that false teachers will always be present. And what I've been trying to, to beat the drum on over the last couple of weeks is we live in a time now where false teachers have more access to you than they ever had before. They don't have to wait to get into a pulpit in order to teach you. They're on, in your pocket right now on your phone or at home on your computer or about a push of a button on your TV. And so we're constantly needing to evaluate what is it that we are learning? Who are we learning it from? What what are they trying to highlight, themselves or the person and work of Christ? That's what we need to always be aware of. So he says, remember what is written. Remember what is written, beloved. Then he moves on and jump down to verse 21. This is where Jude unpacks that second point, is to remember that your faith and life matter in this. So jumping down to verse 21, Jude encourages the church to focus on keeping yourselves in the love of God. I think one of the greatest imperatives given to the church. Imperative meaning calling you to do something. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. And why is that? Because you will always follow what you love the most. You will always follow what you love the most. You will always be influenced by what you love the most. And I believe that the surrounding verses around this are then Jude actually giving an explanation and an application to what does that mean then? How do we do that? How do we keep ourselves in the love of God? He'll give these fundamental realities of what do Christians do? To constantly stir their affections for Christ. But before I do that, I need to clarify what Jude is not saying here. What he is not saying by saying, keep yourselves in the love of God. Jude is not saying, keep for yourself your salvation. Keep yourself saved. He's not saying that. 
He's not saying that if you do this, you will be saved. He's not saying that God has gotten you 99% of the way there, and it's just up to you to finish the race. He's not saying that. In fact, if you remember, back in verse 1, what do we read? How did Jude open this? He opened this by reminding the Christians that they're being kept for Jesus Christ. They are being kept by somebody else. God. He's keeping them. And then if you jump down to verse 24, Jude then once again reminds them that they're being kept until the day that we have the return of Christ and His glory will be on full display. So Jude has gone out of his way because he's using this language of keep a couple of times. But he wants to make sure that they understand. What Jude is trying to say is, is keep yourself in the love of God. But don't get it confused about that you are being kept for Jesus Christ. And you're being kept by Jesus Christ for the last day. Almost as if he brackets his whole letter saying, I want you to see the sovereign hands of God over your life. And within the sovereign hands of God, you get to keep yourselves in the love of God. You get to experience the love of God regularly and holistically. That there are things that you actually get to do to stir those affections and be able to see and experience God's love for you regularly. And Jude knows that's the best way that you can fight against false teaching is be captivated by God's love and God's truth for you. So he's saying, take hold, see the sovereign hands of God, and within the sovereign hands of God, I want you to do something. He unapologetically says, I want you to keep yourselves in the love of God. Not to gain anything that you don't have, right? Not to be accepted by God, but to experience those things which you have been given. So what do we do then? What does that actually mean to keep ourselves in the love of God? Well, theologians refer to these as the means of grace. And I think Jude, even in this passage, he gives us a couple of different things that Christians can do to stir those affections. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because the Puritans mention one of the, the strongest aspects of the Christian life is the power of a greater affection. That you always want to do what you desire most in this world. So what are those things? Well, let's look at four of them. In verse 20... You jump back up, it says, build yourself, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. It's a way to keep yourself in the love of God. So if you want to be constantly reminded of the love of God, what can you do? You can be in his word. You can be building up your faith. Because remember, how does Jude use the term faith? He refers to faith not as the belief in the promises of God, but rather faith as in what is it that we know is true and right about who God is and what he has done. Doctrine is another way to say that. It says build yourself up in the faith. And we know this is what the early church had devoted themselves to. And there's passages like Acts 2 where we see the early church basically getting started and trying to form their habits of how are we going to do life. You recall that what did they devote themselves to in those early days? The apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. Which we know now is a reference to 
Scripture, the Bible, what was inspired by the Word of God, what we have here in the New Testament. So he says, build yourself up in that. And by the way, he's not writing to a single Christian here, a singular Christian. He's writing to Christians, right? He's writing to a church. This is meant to be a community project that we get to together, right, build ourselves up in the Word of God. It's why why we stress those groups so much. It's why I want you to be in a group, whether it's a community group or one of our Bible studies or discipleship groups. we got all kinds of things going on. Why is that? Because we take this seriously, that we want to build ourselves up in the Word of God, and we want to do it together in community as a church. I know that there's no shortage of right, Bible apps, you know, podcasts that you can listen to. You can look up right, your f- favorite preacher in the world right now and listen to them. And, and they will teach you. right? They will build you up. But we have to be really careful with those. I mean, I'm, I'm all for learning. I have all kinds of things I listen to and read throughout the week. But there is a danger there, church. There is a danger to some of those supplemental things if they're actually divorced from the local church. God desires for us to be a part of a community that we can contend for the faith once for all delivered together. And even, even some of the best things that are out there, they're not a substitute for even what we're doing right now. Right? Trying to build up each other. Read Scripture together. Right? Read it responsively together. That's all part of building up your faith. And we get to do that. We get to spend time in His Word. And it's actually a good thing to do. And this is what I love what Judah's saying, is that your love for God will actually increase the more time you spend in the Bible. It can, at least it should. It should increase. Listen to what Tom Schreiner says. He's a, he's a theologian, and he wrote some really well, wonderful commentaries, especially on this Jude passage. He says this about the need to, to learn and to grow. He says, Affections for God increase not through bypassing the mind, but by means of it. That your affections for God, your love for God can be kept by time in the Word. How wonderful is that for us? Good and right doctrine does not diminish the Christian experience, but rather like a fan to a flame, it can make it roar to new heights. And that's what we desire. That's what Jude desires for them. It's what he desires for us now. And why? Because when we do encounter those false teachings, those false teachers, or even our great enemy, right, and says, is this really something that you should contend for? Is this really that big of a deal? Or maybe, haven't you gone too far? Don't you, don't you remember all the sins in which you've participated throughout your life, or even this morning? When you build up your faith in the love of God, how can you respond? I think like, like the children's song, Jesus loves me, this I know. Why? For the Bible tells me so. See, your time in the Word matters, church. It matters. Now, the second way Jude tries to encourage the church to keep themselves in the love of God is by praying in the Holy Spirit. We see this in verse 20. 
praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know you guys' backgrounds, but let me say what this is not once again. This is not some kind of mystical prayer experience. This is not praying in some unknown language that nobody can understand. It's simply praying in regards to who God is. That's what praying in the Holy Spirit's about. It's praying in regard to who God is. It's praying with a deep dependence on Him. It's praying regularly because you recognize that every good gift from God is given to you from Him, from above. And so you're dependent on Him for all things. So you go to Him, you talk to Him, you have a relationship with Him. Listen, I would not keep myself in the love of my wife if I never talked to her. It would not go well for me. It wouldn't be a relationship. But yet, how often do we do that with God? We kind of just ignore Him. I think it's pride on our behalf. Behalf. It's, it's arrogance that we think that we can accomplish what we've been called to accomplish on our own marriage, in our own ways. And prayer is often reserved in for what, like kind of the last resort, like the last Hail Mary. Well, I did everything I could. I might as well pray about it now. Jude says, let it not be so. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Let that be a part of your regular rhythm of life, Christian. We have been given We've been given the ability through the Spirit to talk to the very person who has created all things, church. And he knows all things. He's all-powerful. So why don't we bring him all things? Every Christian that I know, including myself, we want to grow in this. Right? We want to grow in this. And in God's mercy and in His grace, He's given us words like this today. And He says, keep yourself in the love of God by praying in the Holy Spirit. It's not about changing God's mind. It's about God changing you. That's what prayer is for. It's for you to keep yourself in the love of God. Three. Jumping down to verse 21. Jude says, to keep ourselves in the love of God by waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. It means having an eternal perspective to your life. Eternal perspective that the right here and right now, although it's important, it's not ultimate. That we believe that God's plan for us and for this world will be accomplished And we can wait for mercy, which is the way the Bible sometimes describes compassion, the the compassion of the Lord that's going to come for sinners like you and I. That mercy is coming in Christ's return. And that we can keep ourselves in the love of God by remembering that, by thinking about Jesus' coming. Right? As my wife says, that you don't have to write the end of your story. God's already written the end of your story. That's not up to you to write. So we're to think about the coming of Christ. But once again, that does not mean that we start right, charting out the end times. doesn't mean that we build bunkers. doesn't mean that we start reading the newspaper and going, oh, Russia's doing this. That must, that's the fulfillment of this part of Revelation. None of that. That's not what Jude is saying at all. He's saying, keep yourselves in the love of God by thinking about what that day will be like when you get to receive the full compassion of the Lord. Because even 
some of those other apostles that we mentioned earlier, like John and Paul, who wrote quite a bit about the coming of Jesus, right? The, the second return of Christ. But yet, what do we notice about them? That they didn't dig themselves a hole and hide in it. Rather, they loved Jesus' coming and actually compelled them to do things, right? Like plant churches to invest in the next generation, to constantly try to grow in their understanding of who God is. They got to work. So, beloved, you want to keep yourself in the love of God. Think about Jesus often in his return. Let it be near to your lips that you can say, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. But it doesn't diminish what you get to do now. It's not a come quickly, Lord Jesus, and I'm going to hide until that day comes. It's come quickly, Lord Jesus, and I'm going out and I'm going to work. When we think about the compassion in which we will ultimately receive on the last day, it actually should stir you up, spur you on to then have compassion for others right now. Because Jesus isn't back. I don't know when he's coming back. But he's not back right now. So what do we get to do? We get to show compassion to one another. And I think that's where we see in this last section. Starting in verse 22 to verse 23, we get to show mercy on those in the church. Show mercy to those around you. Part of keeping yourself in the love of God, stirring for those affections up, is by walking with other people. God's designed you that way. It's to, if, if possible, to walk with other Christians, to walk with those who aren't sure where they're at in their faith, to walk with those that God has actually brought into your life. He's designed you for that. And my great fear is that many of you might feel stunted in your faith or you've hit some kind of ceiling and you think that you're not getting fed anymore. And it's not because you're not receiving information. It's because you're not actually sharing that information with anybody else. When God has actually designed us, part of our growth is to spend time with others, praying with others, reading the Bible with others, as long as we have opportunity to do so. And I think we have a lot of opportunity to do that here. And in case we're not sure who those people are, Jude then gives us basically three categories of people to think about, to show mercy to. The first one, in verse 22 is, have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy on those who doubt. Those who are wrestling with their faith. Those who maybe are trying to put their faith together. Or, or maybe they had a certain faith or a certain understanding of who God is. But through recent events in their life or even through other teachers are trying to, to navigate the waters of what does this mean? Is what, who is true? What is right? They're doubting. That's okay. We don't have to be afraid of questions, church. We don't have to be afraid of people who doubt. The Bible is full of people who doubt. We get to respond with mercy and compassion, saying, well, let's, let's try to figure this out. Let's look. What, is, what does God's word say to this? We get to move towards them. The second group of people he talks about in verse 23 is those who maybe are walking down a road that seems like they're really close to the, the fires of hell and judgment. 
that they are kind of in the fast lane to destruction. Jude says, show mercy to them too. No matter how fast they're running in the opposite direction, it just means that we do not give up on them. That there is no one that has outsinned the grace of God. There's no one who can outsend the cross. And we don't know what God's doing with them, so we show mercy and compassion. And, and he uses the language, snatch them out of the fire. Now, that doesn't mean that you, or you could kidnap them, right, and try to bring them to an event where they can hear the gospel. My brother did that with me. I praise God for that. But I think what he's talking about is just kind of the, the position of the heart that you just care about them so much, that you're constantly trying to to plead with them, to turn from the direction they're heading, because you know it will not end where they think it will end. And so we're to show compassion on them, not yell at them, right? Don't be like the person on the street corner that just yells at them. That's not showing mercy or compassion. We're to befriend them, show them truth in love. And then lastly, We are to show mercy to those who are deep in sin. Where Jesus says that they're stained in their garments. It's a way the Old Testament referred to individuals that were basically so engrossed in sin that their outward appearance, even the things that they wore, were just stained. Stained in sin. And Jesus is saying, you can hate that. You can hate that someone has walked so far down the road of sin and idolatry and false teaching that their whole being seems to be stained with the sin that they've participated in. And you can hate that, but not them. You're to show compassion on them and plead with them. Plead with them to turn to Christ, that their sin does not define them like the world says it defines them. But there's one that can give you new clothes. And the Bible calls those clothes white as snow. They're not stained. Even one of the greatest pictures that we see in the book of Revelation is what are God's people wearing? These undefiled white robes. That you can't get dirty. You can't stain them. Because who gave them to you? The one who had the perfect life. Jesus Christ and said, Here's my robe. It never got stained. It's yours now. And you can't ever change that. And I think one of the reasons why Jude kind of spends a little time on this is he has his heart for this, the churches that he's writing to, and I think for all churches through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that the church should be the place where people can come in with doubts, right? They can come in with questions. They can come in with just train wrecks of lives and say, I don't know what to do, but I'm here. The church should always be a place where our doors are wide open for them because they were wide open for you and they were wide open for me. Listen, God did not wait for me to clean up my life before he preached the gospel to me, allowed me to believe. So let's not, do, let's not do the opposite with those that are walking through here. And friends, if you're not a Christian this morning, or maybe you're not sure where you're at, one is you're welcome here. You are welcome here to wrestle through your doubts. You are welcome here, whether you think that everyone's looking at you like you have stained garments. 
You are welcome here, and I pray that we will show you mercy and compassion because that's what God has shown to us. And I want to commit to that as a church. I want to help lead that in any way that I can. I want to be on the forefront that I can't actually physically snatch you away from the flames of hell, but I know the one who can. The one who went to the cross on your behalf. He is the one that can say, no, no, no. I know you want to go that way, but that's not my plan for you. You're with me now. That's why the Bible uses the language of that you've been ransomed by Christ. Literally bought back that you have been seized by the gospel of Christ. That's our goal. So I'm just going to keep telling you about Jesus. Because like all of us in this room, that's who we need. That's who our life is anchored on. And we're going to give it all that we got to him. But I want you to believe right now who Jesus is and what he's done. Because it matters right now. All right, I think I'm running out of time. I don't actually don't have a clock here, just so you guys know. This is my clock. It has no numbers on it. <laughs> I have no idea what this is telling me. So I'm going to just keep going. We've got two verses left. Verses 24 and 25, I think, are some of the most wonderful verses that we actually have in the New Testament. That it's just this, this punchy exaltation to all of the things in which Jude has been talking about. And that's why it's referred to as a doxology, which means just a praise him. And I think he does that because, right, he's been talking about this love and this mercy of God. And, he, and as he's thinking about this, and he's thinking about this church, and thinking about how they can keep themselves in the love of God, he then almost reverts back to what he wanted to say at the very beginning. Back in verse 3, do you remember what Jude says that he actually wanted to write to the church about? He says, I wanted to write to you about your com- our common salvation. But then he had to talk about the false teachings. He had to go into detail there. But now at the end, he's like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it in there. I still want to talk about our common salvation. Even with the bad news of false teaching, even with the destruction that it brings, he goes, hey, one more thing I want you to remember. Remember him who was able. Remember Jesus. So he takes them to Jesus. And he says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. And now that word present you, um, in Greek it could be translated to make you stand upright. I think is, is a pretty good word, word picture. Because Jesus is saying, I will keep you from stumbling, ultimately away from me. Even with false teachers coming in, I will keep you. I will hold you. In fact, I'm actually going to prop you up. I'm going to make you stand upright. I'm going to hold you so you stand straight when Jesus returns. Right? When the glory of God is on full display, we don't have to wonder, oh man, did I do enough? Oh man, am I going to be judged for my sin? Did I, did I mess this up in the end? We can remember Jesus saying, no, 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 I got you. I'm actually holding you up. And I'm going to tell all of the world that you are blameless in my sight. That you are blameless before the presence of his glory. And it says, with great joy. With great joy. Now, I don't know about 
what joy he's talking about there. I don't know if he's talking about God's joy on that day. He's talking about our joy on that day. The answer is probably yes. But there's joy on that last day, church. There's joy. Not because we did enough, but because Christ has done enough. And so he says, I want you to look at this. I want you to see this. I want you to think about this, church. I want you to see Jesus right with that. I don't know what the newest clarity of television is. I think it's like 8K UHD. He's saying, in the, the best clarity that you can, I want you to see Jesus because he is the one who has kept you. He is the one who is keeping you. He is the one that's going to be holding you upright on the last day. Even like that great hymn of Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, one of the stanzas, it always, it's just fresh in my mind all the time when he says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So in these last words, he's saying, okay, you had to think about you. right? You had to think about what you do, how you spend your time, what you give priority to. That's important, but don't stay there. Because actually the way that you walk forward is not by looking at your feet, but by looking at Christ. And so he points their eyes upwards. And almost like a like a toast of thanksgiving that's given in celebration and honor to someone, right? He holds up that proverbial glass, and in verse 25, he gives the most magnificent doxology that we see in Scripture. And he says, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory. May we recognize you that you are honored above all. Be majesty. May we recognize that you are above all. That you are the king of kings. The lord of lords. Dominion. May your reign have no end. That there is not one square inch of this earth that you don't say is mine. And authority. That you are the ruler of all. You always have been, you are now, and you always will be. And then the only appropriate response is, what? Amen. That's why it's there. Let it be so. Church, I pray that this short letter in Jude has just reminded you afresh that we don't have to freak out by living in a, in a world that is at odds with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's always been that way. But God has always been on the move. He's always been encouraging Christians. He's always been reminding them of what is true and right. And we get to simply stand upon their shoulders. It's our turn to contend for the faith that's once for all been delivered to the saints. And we get to do that joyously because we are being kept for by Jesus Christ for all time, forevermore. Amen. Let it be so. Let's pray. Well, Father, as we just end our time in your word, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that we have this good news of what you have done and what you will do to sinners like me, to sinners like everybody in this room. And I pray, Lord, I pray that the Christians would be encouraged today, be reminded of their faith, be reminded of the one who came before them, be reminded of the one who has chosen them and redeemed them. 
because of yourself. And God, I also pray for any that don't know you, that wouldn't say they have this relationship with you, that don't have any confidence that they will be able to stand blameless on the last day. God, I pray that you just give them this heart of repentance, that they'd be able to turn from their sin and turn to you and trust you and join us. And join us in the exaltation of you, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to come to you. And may we continue to do so over and over again. And it's in your mighty name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, church. Well, let's go ahead and stand one more time. Let's respond.